Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Periodical Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, and as always, I'm joined by the host of the rest of Rare Petro's podcast, Tavis. What's up? And we are very excited to bring you yet another episode. So this week, we will be discussing Pipeline Protests, a decry of fossil fuels, which covers the information from our weekly periodical that we just posted this past Wednesday, August the 19th. So without further ado, let's get started. Like Kevin mentioned, we just went over this last week, and in recent months, it has become a very hot topic. But it is time to take a step back and truly investigate the pros and cons of oil and gas pipelines. You know we're going to have a lot more pros probably than cons because we're a little bit biased, but we need to determine whether or not the headline-making protests make any sense. So to kick things off, a brief history lessons on pipelines. So China built the first hydrocarbon pipelines in recorded history out of bamboo around 500 BC. Meanwhile, the first oil pipeline in the United States is believed to have been built in 1862 in Pennsylvania. Before that, boats and wagons were the most often used to transport oil from one location to another. Class is missed. Like I said, it would just be a brief lesson here. Anyways, with pipelines being around for so long, why the sudden increase in protesting their existence when they have been proven time and time again to be the safest and cleanest way to transport hydrocarbons? Well, this is where things get interesting. The driving factor is actually a deep-rooted stigma against the oil and gas industry. What the general public must understand is that many protesters are not necessarily trying to shut down pipelines, they're actually trying to eliminate the use of fossil fuels and force an immediate shift to renewable energy. All right, that immediate shift, probably not going to happen as quickly as they'd like it. Any transition that's successful is probably going to take some time, but we've got some facts for you. It is not common knowledge that there are a whopping 2.6 million, million miles of pipelines all over the United States, running up, down, left, right, east, west, wherever. These pipelines deliver trillions of cubic feet of natural gas and hundreds of billions of tons of liquid petroleum across the nation. Not a bad system. As a result, U.S. infrastructure is quite literally built on these pipelines as they supply a massive amount of energy to power our cities, heat our homes, and still be used to refine into other products that are, well, we're recording with products that use petroleum. You're listening to this podcast with products that use petroleum. You're wearing petroleum. Although environmental activists are pushing for government regulation to eliminate oil and gas pipelines, it is still by far the safest and most environmentally conscious method for transporting hydrocarbon products. Eliminating them will force companies to use methods of fossil fuel transport that are less environmentally friendly. I mean, I'm talking trucking, trains, and those are lots of points of loading on, loading off, and lots of people involved. I don't like that. That sounds a lot less safe to me. Well, every time, I mean, think about it. Anytime you have an opportunity for an extra connection, an extra person involved, there's a possibility for things to go wrong. Oh, yeah. And more possibilities with those trucks and trains compared to a little bit more smooth of a process with the pipelines. As we all know, pipelines carry crude oil, natural gas, and are prime products, and they've been a controversial topic for lawmakers, environmental groups, and energy producers throughout the last decade. The result? Tons of protests. Some of these protests have been legal, like, for instance, when Seattle decided to move nearly $3 billion of the city's funds from Wells Fargo to a new institution that wasn't financially involved in the North Dakota Access Pipeline project. It was perfectly legal, and it was peaceful. People were pissed, so they decided to change banks. Nothing wrong with that. 
but a little more spicy. There's also been illegal, but also peaceful infractions. Like individuals trespassing into the Wells Fargo building lobby in Denver, Colorado, during a protest in 2017 for the same reasons Kevin just talked about. Unfortunately, there have also been instances like farmers shooting above-ground pipelines and protesters terrorizing construction workers that have been illegal and also malicious. I mean, shooting holes into pipelines, that's not doing anyone any favors, especially the environmental groups. And are you kidding me? Terrorizing the construction workers? Let somebody earn a dollar. Get off their backs. If you're going to bother anybody, don't bother the dudes who had absolutely nothing to do with the regulatory process. While many of these protests are framed as protecting environmental resources, the major goal is actually to eliminate the transportation methods, red pipelines, and by association, the use of fossil fuels in lieu of renewable energy alternatives. So we've arrived at the beef of what we want to talk about. There's been four major hotspots for protests. The Dakota Access Pipeline from North Dakota to Illinois, the Permian Highway Pipeline Project from West Texas to the Texas Gulf Coast, the Atlantic Coast Pipeline from West Virginia to North Carolina, and then finally, the Keystone XL Pipeline from Western Canada to Nebraska. So, Tavis, remember the good old days of 2014 to 2017? What were you up to? Oh, I was sitting in classes listening to most of my teachers talk about how the Dakota Access Pipeline was infringing on the rights of Native Americans and many thousands of other people. Oh, well, were you up there protesting yourself? Nope, I was in class, <laughs> scratching my head. So for those of you who don't know, the Dakota Access Pipeline is a 1,172-mile-long underground oil pipeline from the United States that goes from the oil shale fields of the Bakken Formation in northwest North Dakota continues through South Dakota and Iowa to an oil terminal near Patoka, Illinois. This $3.7 billion project was announced to the public in June of 2014, and construction began in June of 2016. And that's where we ran into some issues. While the pipeline's construction was actually completed in 2017, the three years to complete this project were a constant uphill battle. And not surprisingly, the protests occurred at several places because the concerns about the pipeline's impact on the environment and also sites sacred to North Americans. North Americans? Native Americans. <laughs> All right, Kevin, I'm trying to... I'm a little heated right now, and I'm trying to stir up some controversy. You want to hop on board? Absolutely. All right. So these protesters, all of them, in North Dakota, next to and on the Standing Rock Reservation, nearly 15,000 people from around the world protested staging a sit-in for months. This meant they were camping. What do you think they did to the environment of that area? Well, I mean, the first thing I can think about is where did those 15,000 people go to the bathroom? Exactly. Human waste, plenty of trash, I'm sure. And I don't know, it probably just turned into a big party for a lot of the people. So I imagine that land was not respected in the way they were ironically protesting it for it to be respected. Absolutely. So, while things were running smoothly after all these protests and after 2017 when the pipeline was up and operational, in March of 2020, a United States district judge ruled that the government had not studied the pipeline's, quote, effects on the quality of the human environment enough, end quote, ordering the United States Army Corps of Engineers to conduct a new environmental impact review. Seriously? This thing was operational for three years. Did it have leaks? Yeah. But why shut it down when nothing was wrong? It was working. It was operational. It just, ah, 
no, I fully agree with you. It's just upsetting at that point. It's not like these new plans were just plopped down and someone absentmindedly, oops, accidentally built a pipeline here. This has been running for some time and running effectively. Like you mentioned, minor hiccups here and there, but running effectively. And then out of the blue, judge says, nope, no can do. Shut it down. But in July, the same judge further ruled the pipeline must be shut down and emptied of oil pending a new environmental review. Although the temporary shutdown order was overturned by a U.S. appeals court on August 5th, thank God, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has to detail options by the end of the month for resolving the loss of a permit that allows the Dakota Access crude oil pipeline to operate on U.S. land. Well, I'm really, I don't know about you, Tavis, but I'm really hoping that they figure out a way to get this thing up and operational again. I mean, it shouldn't take too much figuring out. It was working. What are the environmental impacts that it has? It's not like it's flaring a ton of gas. It's maybe there's a leak here and there, but those are usually resolved pretty quickly with small volumes. I I don't, I want to see specifics. What are the environmental problems that he's talking about? Because I am at a loss. Sounds like legal hullabaloo to me. Next, we have the Permian Highway Pipeline Project that was announced back in September of 2018. The approximately $2 billion, 430-mile project will provide an outlet for increased natural gas production from the Permian Basin to a growing market along the Texas Gulf Coast. We just talked about Texas flaring regulations, and we just talked about how we need more infrastructure. And yet, protesters are calling that the pipeline is, uh, quote, Huge threat to our climate. I mean, which is worse? I mean, endangering some snakes and tarantulas? Or the methane that this extra flaring is going to cause when oil production climbs back up in the Permian? Doesn't make any sense. It sounds like it's the solution. Flaring went down when they could transport it somewhere. But of course, I guess transporting instead of burning is now seen as a huge threat to the climate. It's just, I don't want to say harebrained, but uneducated, I think is a much more polite way to say it. People who are pushing an agenda that they don't fully understand. There's things I don't understand too, but I'm a little, I try to know when I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, if these people want reduced flaring volumes, then they need a pipeline. If they don't want a pipeline, then we're going to increase our flaring volumes. It's, it's, a, you got to pick and choose. Exactly. You can't have both. We exactly. can't have 100% solar tomorrow. We got to try and mitigate the flaring while we can. And Texas is doing that. Luckily, that project is continued on schedule but it is still in the construction phase. And it should be operational in early 2021, but, I mean, fingers crossed for that. We've seen how the Dakota Access Pipeline has been, even after operation. I think it'll be probably heavily dependent on this next election as well. The next protest we are going to protest is the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. This was a planned natural gas pipeline slated to run 600 miles from West Virginia to eastern North Carolina. Was is the opportune word because on July 5th, 2020, the project was canceled. Interestingly enough, the project originated in September of 2013. Who was in office in 2013? Oh yeah, Obama. His administration granted a request from Dominion Transmission to export gas to Japan and India. I'm not talking some red-blooded Republican. I'm talking Obama, Democrat. His administration... They saw the importance of trading natural gas and exporting that to other countries because you can make a profit from that. It's our natural resources. Might as well pull it out of the ground and sell it to people who need it. While developers hope to begin construction in 2019 and start transporting natural gas to hubs in North Carolina by 2020, legal battles dragged the project down, eventually to a grinding halt. 
So this project's actually an interesting one, and it's because developers actually released statements citing, quote, the expected destruction of forests and a disturbance of other sensitive lands that would diminish the ability for these vital regions to filter water, clean the air, and provide other essential environmental services, end quote. So again, that's why it's interesting that people understand that's a potential hazard for when you build a pipeline. They're going to have to cut down trees, dig a trench, but when they're done, they still replant those things. So it's it's temporary, but it kind of seems like they signed their own death warrants, but at least they were doing the right thing. Well, I'm sure as you guessed, multiple lawsuits on water and air contamination issues dogged the project for years. And even after the U.S. Supreme Court decided in favor of the pipeline regarding the project's planned crossing underneath the Appalachian Trail, it was ultimately canceled by Dominion Energy and Duke Energy. The companies released a statement citing that although the project was, quote, developed to meet the needs of communities across our region and to support the transition to cleaner energy, there's too much legal uncertainty to continue moving forward with this project, end quote. And uh, that, that, that's a little bit upsetting because... It's just uncertainty at that point. They don't know what they're going to get slammed with. They don't know how someone's going to effectively twist environmental laws on them to shut the project down. It's not that they know they're in the wrong, because they are not. They know that, well, they're going to get screwed eventually because that's what's happening to the other pipelines. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's they, they proved it. They submitted their employment numbers. They employed hundreds of individuals since its inception, and as they said, it was a path towards cleaner energy in the region. But people in the in or people in the area didn't want it. It's upsetting. I almost think of probably a poor analogy, but like a homeowners association. You go, get the proper permitting, you build a fence, and uh, some lady comes up and says, "Oh, I'm sorry, that doesn't look good enough. We don't like it." You go, "Well, it's not hurting anybody." If anything, it's making my property look better. She says, yeah, well, but everyone else does it this way. Sorry, you're going to have to take it down. After sinking all that money, all that time, someone twists some terrible rule, and you've got to destroy, in this case, infrastructure. Well, lastly, we arrive at the fabled Keystone XL pipeline. If there ever was an environmental battle exemplifying a game of table tennis, it would be the start and stop story of this project. So the Keystone pipeline system originally went online in June of 2010, operating in Canada and the United States, running from the Western Canadian Sedimentary Basin in Alberta to refineries in Illinois and Texas, as well as tank farms and an oil pipeline distribution center in Cushing, Oklahoma. Again, things were running smoothly, and that is until the planned fourth phase, Keystone XL, attracted opposition from environmentalists becoming a symbol for the battle over climate change and fossil fuels. All right, let's take you through a brief history. And we've got the first stop, number one, 2015. Same President Barack Obama, whose administration just recently approved a pipeline two years prior, denied its border crossing, pretty much halted it in the water. A couple battles later, we start again on January 24th of 2017, when President Donald Trump took action to permit the pipeline's completion pretty soon after being elected. So why the protests? Dozens of foreign and domestic protests cite the pervasive threats to ecosystems, drinking water sources, and public health. I'd like to emphasize foreign because it came from outside of Canadian areas, and Canada actually established the Canadian Energy Center, I believe, and they recently launched an investigation, I think just a couple months ago, 
uh, what, into looking whether foreign groups are funding anti-oil protests in Canada because there was all of this hullabaloo around the pipeline, and they decided they needed more time to investigate. But back to the perspective of the United States, another stop. The Supreme Court ordered all Keystone XL work to be halted on July 6th, 2020, which happens to be the same day that the Dakota Access Pipeline met a similar fate. But what are we neglecting? There's economic benefits, there's jobs, there's energy security in the form of American energy independence. Why are we shooting ourselves in the foot? Tavis, you bring up a great point. So we are going to look into the pros and cons of a life cycle of a pipeline. So to start out, construction. Construction of a pipeline, it promotes jobs, it promotes industry collaboration, but yeah, it also has the potential to cause habitat destruction and water contamination. But kind of like you said, let's bring up, you know, HOA, housing. Housing projects do the same thing. I mean, what is, what is the issue with, you know, tearing down some trees? Yes, I get it. Tearing down trees is a bad idea, but if you look at the actual periodical that we posted this past Wednesday, there's images of the process of installing a pipeline. You know, they clear the trees, clear the grass, you know, dig the trench, install the pipeline, fill everything back in, and then they actually go back through and reseed and replant all these trees so they can, quote, leave as little trace as possible. That sure beats the hell out of a suburb housing development that just tears up the land, puts in gas lines, and, well, sits there as houses. <laughs> Operations and implementations of new lines also create jobs, reduce transportation costs for hydrocarbons, provides the safest method for transporting these commodities, and, looking at you environmentalists, is cleaner for the environment than rail or truck transport. The major risk of operating a pipeline is the possibility of a leak. But these occurrences are still less common than rail or freight transport, which we would have to go to if we get rid of these pipelines. So, Tavis, I don't know about you, but this to me just seems like all pros. I mean, yes, there is the con of a potential, and I do mean potential, leak. But kind of like you said, if we avoid pipelines, we're going to have to go to other methods of transport that have been proven time and time again. I mean, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of papers cited by the IEA, the Fraser Institute, um, the Canadian National Board of Energy. Everyone has cited pipelines are safe and cleanest for the environment yeah no when looking at it it seems like the protests are pretty bass backwards if we look at it from our perspective but i i don't know we've got to be missing something right let's keep hashing this out you're right tavis so finally decommissioning it once again it creates new jobs and it remediates the pipeline area to restore the environment to its original condition but no matter how the pipeline is decommissioned it's expensive and it also risks damage to the environment. So you can either tear the line out, which comes back to the cons of, you know, installing a pipeline, you got to go back through, cut down trees, remove grass, dig the hole, etc., etc., or you leave it buried. I mean, there's a lot of steps that you have to go through. You have to clean the line, you know, uh, cut it apart at different segments so that it's not a conduit to drain late, etc., etc. But there are a lot of environmental concerns once a pipeline is decommissioned. I mean, if it is a compromise for the other side of this issue, I wouldn't mind requiring legislation that has companies pull the line out and restore the land to the way they found it. To me, that does sound responsible. And at that point, it seems like the biggest risk is spills. So the biggest pros and cons of a pipeline revolve around the economy and the environment. 
two good things, I'd say. But am I simplifying that too much? No, not at all. Pipelines are the cleanest and safest method of transporting hydrocarbons. And even acknowledging the recent advancement in renewable technology, it's still going to be an energy source that we use to fuel our society. Exactly. And these protesters, are they're just attempting to shut down pipelines to choke oil and gas production. So what happens then? Increased costs for delivering fossil fuels to the market, which then, too, makes the economics of renewable energy more competitive. Okay, what about the unforeseen consequences of that happening? First, eliminating pipelines forces the industry to adopt less environmentally friendly methods to transport the additional energy sources that we still need beyond what renewable can provide because, I'm sorry to say it, hate to be a pessimist, it's just not there right now. Not there yet. Not saying we can't be there in the future, but right now, fossil fuels, even if we transferred to all renewable tomorrow, we're still going to need fossil fuels to make up that gap in energy demand. So... The protesters are using the argument that pipelines are harmful to the environment to support the economics of renewable energy. That makes sense. But in doing so, the result will cause more harm to the environment, that same environment they're trying to protect. I just don't understand how these people are fine with water lines and sewer lines. I mean, heck, Tavis, we live in Golden next to a world-class brewery. Have you ever heard anyone complain about the beer lines that run under our street? Not once. And I even had the opportunity to study abroad, and I was in Bruges in Belgium, and at the time they were constructing a beer line, and no one had problems with it. And it was actually completed in 2016, and today that old-style brewery has beer lines running throughout the town, delivering beers straight to the tap. But nobody says boo. Exactly. They have the exact same issues, and yet petroleum pipelines are just heinous. Heinous indeed, and that's going to be the biggest challenge moving forward. Until we can address these issues surrounding the protests and the lack of the ability to implement these systems that deliver the energy that we need, we're going to be in a pretty bad spot, and depending on a lot of people for energy, if it works its way back up that supply chain. Until the world can generate enough green, renewable energy to support our domestic consumption, the most efficient and safe method of transportation should be used for fossil fuels, especially when the infrastructure is already in place to meet the necessary demand. The best compromise would be to use the cleanest forms of energy possible with the fewest environmental concerns and largest economic impact. Therefore, continuing to utilize pipelines to supply hydrocarbon-based energy is environmentally conscious and economically responsible until society can meet its energy demand with a different, cleaner economic alternative energy source. Well, folks, that wraps up this week's episode, so make sure you leave us some comments. Tell us what you like, what you didn't like. Heck, contact Tavis at podcast at rarepetro.com and let us know what you think. Let us know ideas for future content segments. Whatever. Tell us what you had for dinner, like Tavis said last week. Yeah, we would love to hear from you, and we're trying to take a little bit of a different stance to keep you guys engaged. So if we said something that pissed you off, let us know. Give us an email, because we want to engage with you guys, and uh, we want to keep you having fun and learning with us. So, till we see you next week, take care. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs>